Welcome to Sharing the Spectrum, an Autism Canada podcast, an engaging series of discussions about relevant topics, including parenting, relationships, employment, education, nutrition, and so much more. We look forward to introducing you to people from our ASD community and sharing their perspectives on life and autism. And now, please enjoy this episode of Sharing the Spectrum, an Autism Canada podcast. Welcome back to the Sharing the Spectrum podcast. It's Julie from Autism Canada, and today I'm so excited to share this conversation with Vicki McGrath. Vicki is a late-diagnosed woman on the autism spectrum. We talk about her life pre- and post-diagnosis, her extrasensory perception, the gift of autism, and in her own words, her extraordinary life. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Good morning, Vicki. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. I'm really excited about speaking to you about your story and about the things in your life that led to your diagnosis. So welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. First of all, you're a woman on the spectrum, which is, I think a lot of people um, don't understand that autism is not a a male-female thing, Uh, but you're also late diagnosed. You weren't diagnosed until you were 50. So um, I definitely want to get into that story, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about your your life and why you you seeked out a diagnosis and um, and sort of of how you came to that decision. Well, for me, the, the diagnosis was a long, long journey. You know, I had a a long life of being different or weird or however you want to put it. You know, I was, I was that kid as a child, the one that didn't get invited back to play dates because uh, parents didn't like me. I I didn't get invited to birthday parties because parents didn't like me. I I was totally disruptive in class. Teachers really didn't like me. I I got very, very mediocre grades, even though I knew I was smart. And, you know, so, I mean, I was that child throughout school, elementary as well as high school. I, I got into university through sheer determination, really, because, uh, you know, I, I had a math teacher, uh, I needed to take OAC math, it was OAC back then. So now there's grade 12. That, then there, before there was grade 13. And when I was in school, it was OAC. Now there's none of those. But in any event, when I was in the, my final year of high school, I needed to take a math to get into university. And my math teacher refused to sign the form to let me take the math t- class that year, like that year, because she said, no, Vicki, I'm not signing that because you're going to fail. And that's a teacher. Oh <laughs> that my like, God. That, that was my experience. I went to the, you know, I was undaunted, right? Like, this is my thing. I'm, I'm completely undaunted. And that's part of my, my, my spectrum is that I, I just ignore whatever doesn't suit me and, and carry on with what does. Right. And so I just went to the vice principal and I said, I need this class to go to university. Will you sign the form? And she said, of course. So, you know, I, I got into university. I, once again, I was mediocre in university. I have a lot of, a lot of problems with authority as well. So <laughs> I was always very challenged with the whole teacher-student relationship. But, you know, uh, I managed. I got my undergraduate degree. I, I was so, so grateful. My mom was a, a big volunteer uh, in her life. And so I immediately went into volunteering once I graduated from uh, university. And I got my first job because of volunteering. So I met uh, 
big senior leader in a municipal organization while volunteering. She, he saw something in me that he liked. He offered me a position. I took the position and that started a 20-year career in government. Uh, but, you know, through it all, uh, there was always something weird going on, right? Like, I, I don't know. I didn't know what it was at the time. So it's just, it's just like a snowball effect, right? Eventually, I went into to triathlon. I was training for my, my third tri Ironman triathlon. I crashed my bike. I broke some ribs, got a concussion, punctured a lung. And after that, after that concussion, I never was able to really recover, you know, kind of back to my normal baseline. I just always seemed to have trouble with depression and anxiety and really began struggling with even some memory loss challenges, things that were really quite frightening. And so that really started this deep dive into looking at why I was different, why I had so many challenges, uh, you know, getting along with other people. You know, the thing that I realize now is that that, that diagnosis, there's so much more known about concussion now, but in 2006, even, you know, the only thing that anybody ever said was, well, it just takes time, right? It just takes time for a concussion. You, you can't do anything about it. There's nothing you can do to, to improve things, right? But you know, had I known then what I know now, I would have been able to say, you know, my brain is not the same as other brains, right? It never was the same. It never processed information the same as other people's brains. And so therefore, it's never going to repair any normal way, right? It's always going to be even more challenging for it to repair because, it, you know, the things just don't connect the same way. Anyway, uh, make a long story short, eventually after that, I just sort of had a series of challenges with depression and anxiety and just memory loss. And I, my mom had Alzheimer's. I thought, dear heavens, have I got Alzheimer's this young in my life? So that was kind of the impetus. I thought, oh dear, I better start looking into this. Like, is there something I can do? And then eventually I, I came to know because of all of that, I went to the Toronto Memory Program. My doctor referred me to the Toronto Memory Program. And through that process, they do a series of neuropsychology tests, which, you know, are basically uh, cognitive tests. And that's where I met the, the doctor who decided that I had ADHD. And so uh, once I had that, I thought, well, that, that still doesn't work. That still doesn't make sense to me the way my life has been. So I persevered further and eventually got the diagnosis of, uh, the, of the autism spectrum in 2019. But honestly, it was my own, my own perseverance, right? I don't, I don't have anybody, Not I'm 50 years old when I'm getting diagnosed. I don't have anybody to advocate for me. I, I'm, I have to do it myself. So if I weren't able to do that, if I didn't, I can only imagine how many people don't think to themselves, there's something really wrong or something different or something about the situation that doesn't work uh, and persevere to get that, that diagnosis for themselves. Yeah. And that makes so much sense. And I think your, your comment about being, you know, I was the, I was the weird one and no one liked me and the teachers didn't like me. And I feel like there's so many kids that are in that position that, that, that is so hard. Like, how did you manage that as a child? How did you imagine the, that must've taken a huge emotional toll? I think for me, I didn't know, right. I didn't know that there was something weird or different about me. My mom 
I was the fifth of five ch- children, right? So I was the youngest. I was the only girl. Uh, so I have four older brothers, right? My parents were so done with parenting. <laughs> By the time I came along, honest to goodness, I don't think she, I, I don't know, think, you know, I don't know whether she, she thought it was because I was a girl, I was dramatic, uh, I was over emotional, I don't know what she thought, I can't ask her now, she's passed away in 2012, but, you know, uh, who knows, like, she never, ever once made me feel like there was something wrong with me, she, you know, if, if I remember on a few occasions, you know, wanting to go over to a friend's house and her saying to me, no, Vicky, that you're not able to go over there uh, to play with whoever it was. Uh, and I would say, well, how come I can't go over there? And she would say, well, the, you know, Susie's parents don't like your leadership qualities. So, you know, she would present it in a way that it, it never made me feel like I was the problem, right? She would, she was, she was always a very strong advocate you know I believe probably she had autism herself like she was a very a a very unemotional woman as well so I think that 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 is you know part of of the challenge for me is that I've always been very kind of unemotional on the outside for the most part you know over time I've developed the ability to to present with more emotional acuity than I really have (laughs) but you know uh most of that is just laughing like that's that that was you know one definitely something that I faced in the workplace was I just have no idea about social cues I have no idea about social nuances or etiquette you know I I just don't know what people are saying if they're not saying it straight up you know so I think that was I think you know for me the challenge was that I, in, in school, and, and I see now uh, in retrospect as a result, you know, what I, what I feel like autism is, is it's like extrasensory perception, right? Like as weird as that sounds, it's like you have all of this psychic bombardment, right? All of this sensory impact overload going on all the time. You know, you've got lights and sound and thoughts and and other people's energy and everything is impacting you all the time. And so you as a, as a person on the spectrum, and we all have different, I would say gifts or talents or aspects of that sort of uh, ESP, if you want to call it that uh, regardless, you have to figure out over time, what's yours and what's somebody else's or what's the energy around you and, you know, what's somebody else's feelings like really, you really, you can't process all of that. And so as a child in a classroom, you're dealing with all of that excitement, all that sensory overload. And that's the challenge is that, you know, in a class environment, in a school environment, in a work environment, all of those uh, all that sensory bombardment is happening all day long. And if you can't uh, over time discern what's you and what's other people and what's the, what's the environment around you, then you have to come up with other ways to figure out the situation, right? You have to come up with other ways to, to get along in a situation and whatever that might be, it might be that you, you know, recognize yourself as, as, an introvert or, or, you know, like it's the things that you kind of make up about yourself because you know that you do better 
if you're in a quiet environment or you're on your own or like I'm actually a very social person. I really enjoy being in a, a workplace. I really enjoy being at social events and talking with people. But at the end of a social event or even at the end of a meeting, I have no idea for the most part what was said or what anybody was saying other than unless it was directly to me because it's all just extrasensory stuff that I can't process. So many times I would have gone to, <laughs> gone to a social event and my husband would say to me, oh, did you did you hear so-and-so talk about this? Or don't you remember so-and-so saying that? And I'd be like, no, I don't remember any of that. And he would just be like, we're, we're not at the same thing. <laughs> interesting interesting right so that's what I think like it's honestly it's like all of this sensory stuff you just you have to be able to figure out over time what's yours and what's not yours and that just takes a lot of work I was gonna say for a child in school who's young and doesn't recognize that it would be so hard even as an adult it would be hard to recognize that especially nowadays with social media and the news coming at you all the time, like 24 hour news cycle Mm -hmm. and people in your life and having a family and a job. And it must be exhausting as well. How did, how did you even figure out how to shut those things out? Was it post-diagnosis or pre-diagnosis that you figured that out? Or do you even know, like, is it just, it just sort of happens. Yeah. (laughs) Sort of a natural thing. Yeah, I think actually, to be honest with you, I think it's probably been post-diagnosis that I've really begun to look in this into this because, you know, I I don't know how normal it is to consider, you know, psychic perception, but that's how so much of our information comes in. And we, you know, in the most uh, most of society, you know, logic and reason is what drives everything, right? Nobody really talks about the the intuition or the sixth sense or what, you know, your gut feeling or any of that stuff, right? And yet those are common terms, right? A gut feeling. I just felt like something was not right about the situation, or I just had this intuition, right? Like all of that is normal language. And, and yet nobody really thinks about that. And so for me now, I see I relied a lot on that, right? I would have, I would have a gut feeling. I would have information come into my, you know, my senses that that was the only information that worked in the situation. First, you know, based on all the other stuff that was coming and going, I would have a picture in my mind about the way things needed to be or the way I needed to move forward, right? So th- that's all uh, psychic information right there's no other way to look at it right it's 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 not information that you get from anything else other than yourself and so since uh the diagnosis I've really started to look and there's uh, there's actually an extraordinary amount of research already that has been done psychic versus autism or autism versus psychic like and there's actually a lot of information out there that says that People on the autism spectrum, highly sensitive people are another kind of group. There's another uh, sensory perception disorder, SPD, are all like what I, you know, have this extrasensory perception where they're unable to discern or differentiate between the psychic bombardment, the psychic information coming in and their own energy and their own information. And so that's why it makes so much sense when you think about it, that 
you know, if you can't figure that out, as you say, right, if you're a child and you don't know that you're feeling something because your neighbor's feeling that or, you know, how, like, how can you, so at what point can you come to the realization? And some people never can, right? Some right. people never can. And, and people tell you how to feel too, when you're young. I think people, people tell, tell you how, you how, to, how feel. to feel and, and so much so, and particularly for kids who struggle, um, no. you know, no, you can't feel that way. You have to be happy. You can't cry. You can't, you know, I think a lot for boys too, but, um, yeah, it must be really hard to differentiate between and then, and then learn to trust yourself and learn to trust your gut and your instinct right. and your, and that, that inner voice who, who yeah. is probably your most valued information. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and you're right. My mom never allowed me to get angry. That was one thing that I, and so for me, you know, kind of going along with the, the psychic or extrasensory I've had stomach issues my whole life, like just really terrible stomach issues where I, you know, I basically stuffed everything down and, and, and kept it inside for my whole life. And that's apparently a real, a real thing is that people keep all of the feelings inside, you know, they don't know how to deal with, they don't, and, and it shows up as digestive problems for so many people. And, and I we think, just don't yeah. know. But yes, certainly yes. at the age when you were in public school or in elementary school, that wasn't something that people recognized. And in fact, because you were a girl, you're right. People were just like, oh, you know, she's just maybe a difficult girl or she's just not, you know, whatever, you know, however yeah. you worded it before. But yeah, it's interesting. It's changed a lot. And so you weren't given the benefit of a lot of those things as a as a child. And now you're figuring it out as an adult, which is which is unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but I guess it's progress too, right? That's how we learn. Well, it, it is. And uh, now, you know, hopefully I, I can help someone else who's, you know, who's thinking to themselves, you know what, I can relate to something there. Uh, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's something I should look into. You know, now, whenever somebody says to me, oh yeah, I was diagnosed with severe ADHD, I say to them, look, you might want to think about it going a little further with that diagnosis, right? <laughs> interesting. more to it. Yeah, that's interesting. When have, Do you disclose your diagnosis to people? No. Never? No. No. So I, because <laughs> I was going to ask you how people responded when you, about your diagnosis. Well, how about your husband? You've obviously shared it with your husband. Yes. Yeah. Well, he, he and I have been together since we were 18. We started oh. dating. We started dating at 18. So he's known how weird I am my whole life. So <laughs> he's just used not, to it. <laughs> it's nothing new to him. Got it. Okay. And the same with my daughter, right? She's like, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So, uh, you know, I mean, my poor daughter, though, she probably does, uh, she probably does feel some sense of relief knowing that, you know, she does actually have a weird mom. And it's. <laughs> I don't think you're weird. Just for the record, I don't think that anyone listening to this podcast will think you're weird either. You know, I'm kidding when I say that, but I know you are. I know. You know, as I say, it, you know, it probably is a relief to her because you know she she probably really wonders why some of the things that I've done in my life have I've done right. Like she would she would always say to me, you know, Mom, you're shrieking, right? Why are you shrieking? And I'd be like. I don't know what you're talking about. That's actually something that my mom would say to me all the time. Vicki, I'm not across the room, right? Like she would always say, like, so obviously 
uh, you know, the inability to, to manage or whatever it is, my loudness has been a challenge for me my whole life. So, you know, for things like that, there's, there's probably so many other things that I don't even know about, you know, so things like that, probably, you know, my husband and my daughter might think, okay, you know, she doesn't know, or she can't help that, or you, that's just who she is. And so now they, they don't say, you know, mom, or, you know, <laughs> Has that changed your relationships with them? Having that understanding and understanding the diagnosis, do you think it's changed that relationship at all? I mean, I guess now they understand more why you respond the way you do to things. Um, is there anything else that sort of uh, changed for you since since you've been diagnosed with that respect to relationships? Well, you know, I would say my husband has always been extremely accommodating. You know, I think it's his life it's his life mission uh, to really be my support and, um, and our daughter's support. Like he, you know, that's his whole, his whole uh, MO in life, uh, which we're very lucky about. Mm -hmm. But now I think he understands why, uh, why certain things about me are a frustration. You know, like I, I, I don't, I don't do well with details. Like I really don't do well with details. So for example, around the house, you know, the soap, in a soap dispenser, there might be, there might be one more use. And so I'm not filling it up because it doesn't need to be filled up yet. Right. Whereas he would be like, what the heck, there's no soap left. Why aren't you filling up the soap dispenser? Right. So, and, and the same thing with so many other myriad things I can think about. Right. Like if I had to go to the store and replace something, I would buy one right? One of the thing that needed to be replaced, or he might buy four because then he doesn't have to go out to the store again to get that thing when it's empty in a week. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, now he probably understands or at least appreciates why those things for me are the way they are, right? Like that it's yeah. not something I can overcome. It's not something I can change about myself. I, I'm 52 years old. It is not happening, right? <laughs> The, the sink and there was no soap in the container I would fill up the soap right but until there's no soap in the container I don't see the need to fill up the soap right. and I think now he recognizes that and that's happened on so many so many many occasions but now I would say the other thing is that now I see uh, another thing I'm really terrible at is lines like over my life waiting for anything is dreadful dreadful and so waiting in a line has just been such a source of aggravation for me over my life. And now because of COVID, even worse, right? The lineups for everything are just insane. So the other thing about that is that my husband has taken over all of that side of life for me so that I don't have to go into a store. I don't have to stand in the line. I don't have to endure the, That's great. the pain, right? Yeah. So you know, he might've done that anyway. I don't know, but now at least he, he feels like he's doing it and it's benefiting me so much because of that. Right. So that's How nice. That, yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a nice benefit to have. So if, you know, if there's, if you have somebody in your life who could take up the slack for areas that you don't have the, the skill set, <laughs> the qualities, <laughs> you know, that's really helpful. For sure. And it must take some stress out of your, out of your life and out of your relationship Definitely. as well, right? There's, an, yeah. there's, um, you know, understanding those things and understand, like, I don't like to cook. So my husband does most of the cooking and that 
makes a huge difference uh, for me, you know, just yeah. knowing that I don't, I do breakfast and lunch and I take care of the kids and, you know, during the day when he's at work and all of that stuff. But if I don't have to cook dinner for me, that is just a, an amazing stress release and he loves it. So it's, it works out yeah. really well. We've just it's figured good. that out after 14 yeah. years together. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so that's great. So let's talk a bit about your career because I know we have spoken before about uh, you were working at a large company I think with the government before um, your accident and, and I'm not sure if the timing worked out, but I know that you're not doing that anymore. So let's talk a little bit about your, your career prior and then now what you're doing now and how that um, has worked out for you. Well, I, I started out in the government sector, actually. I, I went, I did my undergraduate degree in uh, environmental studies. So I was really lucky to, to get a, a job right away in that field. I went to work for a local municipality uh, the city of Scarborough for anyone that's in the Toronto area and had a, a, a very fun, enjoyable, fulfilling uh, career there. I had a uh, the commissioner who was like the most senior leadership position in my department was the one that brought me on. So I had a very high level champion uh, in the workplace. He was extremely supportive of, supportive of me. I had a lot of challenges. I had a lot of interpersonal conflicts. I had I had a lot of a lot of challenges with my colleagues and my my coworkers. You know, he was very supportive and always had my back, which was key to me still feeling successful, even though I was challenged in many other ways. Right. So I think that was the key piece there. And then, you know, I moved the government offered a lot of growth opportunities, too. So I, I moved around a lot because that's just how I've always been. That's part of my coping strategy for not getting along well in a situation is I just leave the situation and move on to something else. So for me in the government sector, that gave me a lot of opportunity to do that. So I would say probably every two or three years, I would change jobs within the within the organization to give myself the opportunity to probably primarily work with new people, <laughs> but also... Right opportunities for growth and development of myself where I felt like I wasn't able to do that anymore, probably in a large part because of my interpersonal challenges wherever I was in the organization. But I was really lucky and I did that for, you know, 20 years I was able to do that. And, uh, you know, over the course of that time, I had many leadership positions. I, I think, you know, people would have who've worked for me would have said that I was a great boss. I was, you know, I, I think I was uh, I think I was a good boss. And I think the thing for me was that as long as I had someone supporting me or, you know, a champion in the organization as my boss or as the bosses or as the boss, then I was good. As soon as that changed or I wasn't. I didn't have that support. That's when I didn't do so well. And so in the first uh, circumstance, so in 2012, uh, I lost my first job. So I was in a high level senior management position, very well paid, but my boss left and the one that replaced him didn't like me, didn't understand me and didn't support where I was in the organization. And so he let me go. So then I was able to get back into the field in another organization. But the same thing happened just a few years later in that organization. My boss left. The one that came on board didn't know me or like me 
and I was let go. And so over the course of, you know, the 20 year career that happened late, uh, as I got into more senior leadership positions and probably as a result, it became more clear maybe where my social challenges really were probably exacerbated at the senior level position because if you can't get along with your boss, <laughs> you're kind of doomed. So, you know, in, in those two circumstances. And so that was really what propelled me to go into business with my husband. My, my husband was in business, uh, in a family business. He was, he was interested in doing something independently. He was, uh, he was, you know, he, he, he wanted to be his own boss. He was always entrepreneurial uh, so we started looking at what business he could go into. And so when I, I lost my uh, job in 2015, it just worked out really well that we went into business together. So it really was nothing more than a stroke of luck <laughs> that we were looking at this at the time. And it worked out that, uh, you know, my skill set of the side of the business that I knew uh, the marketing and the sales and the events and all of the, the client facing and, and staff facing uh, was, was my strength. And his strength is, uh, you know, the accounting, the technology, the backend stuff. So it, it worked out really well in that respect. So now, you know, despite the fact that I, I suffered tremendously uh, loss of self-esteem and self-confidence from those two uh, job losses, now, uh, you know, being in business for myself and with my husband has given me a lot more freedom to, to grow and, and develop and also, you know, do a lot of personal development for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I now see that as, uh, you know, as a blessing, I'm grateful for it because I, if I had, you know, continued to have to try to persevere in a, a workplace environment, I might never have, have come to the place where I am now, where I have a diagnosis and I see what, you know, why I've been challenged over the course of my life and now how I can help others, you know, unleash their gifts and talents and, and know their full potential because, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with anyone. We're all just on this journey of life and some of us can can get along better with other people <laughs> and some of us can't and that's okay it's really hard in a business environment too where if you feel like you sort of have to play that politics game and maybe a little bit bend your own personal rules to get along with the boss or to get along with your colleagues that's that can be really hard and so lucky i mean Difficult, obviously, to lose two jobs and the self-esteem impact of that would be massive, but um, so nice that you've come out on top with your own business and and your own boss and obviously a boss that loves, or not a boss, but being your own boss and working with your husband who understands, it must just um, have made a, a massive Im impact on, on how you feel about your work and about yourself and all of that. Yes, definitely. And I agree with you 100% in the workplace, you know, that that was a very challenging uh, space. Now I see, I, I honestly don't know when I've ever been 
my authentic self. You know, I can't, I can't even tell you the last time I was really my authentic self. I don't even know what that is anymore. I've had to, to be whatever was required or whatever, you know, as best that I could in the situation. And even in business, right. The, <laughs> my challenge is, is social interaction is communication. Like I, I just have a different way of, of seeing things and being in the world and, and understanding the world. And so it's, it's, it's challenging in business too. I don't communicate the way people maybe expect to be communicated to when they're having a situation with their loved one or they're in grief or they're in, they're challenged or, you know, they, they're confused and I can't, I don't have the ability to respond the ways maybe that people would expect a person to respond in that situation, you know? And so I have to really work at appearing empathetic, appearing compassionate. It's not that I don't have compassion. It's not that I don't have empathy. It's just that it's, it's not expressed the normal way that it maybe is expressed by other people. And so that's, I think, still a challenge for me is to appear outwardly uh, like I fit into the situation, whereas I really don't personally feel like I like I responding the way that people would want me to respond. I don't know whether that makes sense or no, not. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that that sort of, that speaks to a masking and that speaks to something that I think a lot of women who are on the spectrum do, which is a lot of people try to sort of conform to be more acceptable or, you know, sometimes I think people just don't have the ability to do that. You say you, you don't even know who your authentic self is. Do you think that's because you have spent a lot of time masking and trying to respond, working hard to respond in a way that people expect? Well, I think it's because uh, you know, over time, I've come to understand that, you know, whatever it is, the extrasensory perception, the psychic uh, perception, whatever it is, it's not normal for most people to perceive the world in that way. It's not normal for people to to get a picture in their mind or to just know something or to feel something when they walk into a room or it, it, and so over time, you come to understand that other people don't live their lives that way. It's not normal for them to perceive the world that way. It's not normal for them to, to have to manage sensory overload or psychic bombardment or whatever you want to call it. And so to fit in or to conform, as you say, you have to act like those things are not happening to you, even though they're happening. That's that's how I live my life. My life is my psychic gifts, right? Wow. I, I can't. I, I that's I rely on them very heavily for for my my day to day life. But I can't. <laughs> I can't talk about that with most people, right? Yeah. I can't say to someone, oh, you know, uh, something just came to my mind, and I know that that's what I need to do. You know, like who's going to believe that? Right, right. <laughs> it is a so gift, I mean, right? That is know. that is the gift of be, of your spectrum, exactly. for sure. Is and that you have that innate exactly instinct to be able to manage things like that. It's it's fascinating. First of all, I would like to say that I love your story about um, your teacher who wouldn't sign your. 
math and that you persisted and went to your VP and said, basically, uh, you know, your opinion doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do this and I'm going to go to university and I'm going to get somebody else to sign this. So that's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's impressive. And, you know, I don't know that everyone would do that. So well done. And that probably made you more, that probably made you more determined to, to get it done too. When someone told you, you couldn't do it. Are you like that generally? If someone says, oh, you'll never get this done. Are you general, do you generally become more determined because you are, you know, you have done three Ironmans and, you know, you got yourself into university and, and obviously you've started your own business. And, and so to me, that's a, that's a determination thing that probably came as a young, started as a young child. <laughs> Well, you know, I, as I say, uh, honestly, I, I think, you know, there's comorbidities and I I, I have many comorbidities as part of your uh, diagnosis. But honestly, I think that oppositional defiance disorder was not among the diagnosis, but I really do believe that it's among them. <laughs> and so that is definitely the case with me. I was, you know, there were so many occasions over the course of my life where I was just like, it's not even a screw you kind of response. It's just like, okay, you're irrelevant. I'm moving on. I'm doing this, right? right. What you say doesn't matter to me. I am, I am doing this and you're not on my, in my life anymore. Whatever the case may be, right? You're just not on board with it. You don't matter to me. I'm moving on. That's a and, confidence thing too. That's that to me speaks to a confidence and a determination that that is beyond. And I think for parents who have kids who do struggle with ODD, it's a tough one. And to see the positive impact it had on you in, in like from, you know, looking back now is, is something that people can take away as, wow, you know, it's frustrating when you have a child maybe that, that struggles with that, but look at what it provided this person with. So I think that's, that's really interesting. So there's a few things about your story that, that fascinate me. And I could talk to you for hours. We could go on and on and on and on, but we do have a limited amount of time. First of all, you're a woman on the spectrum, which I think a lot of people don't understand that autism is not um, specific to anyone can be on the spectrum. You were diagnosed at a later age, which I think is really important to a lot of people because I think because of the age that you are and that I am because I'm a very similar age. A lot of this stuff was not known when we were kids. And so what advice would you give to someone who is our age if they're feeling some of the things that you're talking about? What would you what would you suggest that they do with that information at this point or with their feelings at this point? So I would have uh, you know I kind of came up with like a, a three uh, three ways. I always try to come up with some action items so that it's, you know, there's an outcome for people, but I think first of all it's you are your only advocate at the end of the day, you know, you are your only advocate. So if you have concerns or feelings or you perceive things to be, you know, that you, you live an extraordinary life that doesn't, doesn't fit in with normal, ordinary society, you know, pursue that. There are, there are doctors that are out there who will help you, uh, you just have to be an advocate for yourself. That's what I, I was a self I advocated for myself and I, I probably came across as pretty weird and pretty unkind and pretty mean, but by gosh, by golly, I'm not taking no for an answer if it's going to benefit me at the end of the day. <laughs> right. So that's number one. If you, you know, if you feel like there's something 
extraordinary about you and you think that a, having a diagnosis would give you some peace or some some understanding it's worth it you know it's just one piece of the puzzle right you it's just one piece of your extraordinary life but it, it helps to have that to uh put other things in context mm-hmm. um the other thing i would say is is that see your gifts and talents as an ability as a gift and a talent, see yourself as an extraordinary being who is here on a mission to upgrade our understanding of how life is meant to be lived, right? You are extraordinary. And that is, I think, the key piece that people people see it as a disability or a cognitive impairment. There is so much more that is a gift and a talent and an, an ability. So that would be the, the other one that I would say is see, see that, see the gift, see the talent, see the ability, see how amazing you are. And the other is, I guess, uh, I probably have four now that I look at it, uh, <laughs> that, you know, to see the how in your life, your perspective adds to the perspective around you adds to the diversity of, of the conversation or adds to the situation in a way that other people can't bring to the situation, right? So that's, you know, you as having a, a unique way of perceiving, a unique way of communicating, a unique way of sensing or perceiving, other people don't have that way of, of being in the world. So you add something amazing to a conversation or to a workplace or to a school or wherever you might be in your life and the other one is I guess there are role models out there you know you can't you can't look to uh to the media you know you can't look to celebrities uh places like Autism Canada there are role models available to support you in your journey to help you with questions or guidance or you know, if you want to know who to go to or what, you know, what doctor was supportive in a diagnosis, you know, there are, there are role models out there for people. And so that's the, you know, I, I would be happy to be a role model or a mentor, or whatever it is for people who have questions or concerns or, you know, would like to know how to move forward in their lives. So that's probably what I would say in terms of, uh, you know, how I would provide solutions for people. Right. That's amazing. Those are those are four really um, actionable, as you said, steps that people can that people can take. And I have to say that um, we're so grateful because you approached us um, last. <laughs> I want to say last summer, probably, to get involved with the Awesome Conference and your presentation at Awesome about um, workplaces and about um, making workplaces more accessible is an amazing presentation it is available on our YouTube channel. So if anybody wants to go and see some more of Vicki, you're welcome to go to our YouTube channel and watch that. But um, I just, we're, we're just so glad that you have agreed to be an ambassador for us because you are such an amazing role model and you do, you know, you get it and you speak about it so clearly. And, and I just have enjoyed our conversation so much today. And I feel like this is part one of what could be about 20 different conversations, because um, I know you say you're t- it's tough in social um, circumstances, but I just love chatting with you. So I want to thank you so much for being with me today. Is there anything else you want to add while we're here? Uh, so I would say I'm, I'm happy to have people connect with me. I think uh, maybe they can uh, find my information through the uh, if they go 
through the Autism Canada YouTube channel. If they find me on the Awesome Conference, I think all of my information is there. Yep. Uh, so they're welcome to connect with me. You know, I would also say if there are folks out there that are on the spectrum and who are looking for, you know, ways to give back to the community, they they too could be, you know, helping out at Autism Canada. They they had there's lots of great ways to volunteer. You know, I contribute to the newsletter or the conference or the media that was, you know, that was something else that I did recently. I uh, was connected in with CTV news. So if anybody's excited by those types of opportunities, there's, there's opportunities to give back in the community as well. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to give back. I, and I'm grateful that autism Canada has, has allowed me to do that. Well, thank you. Where we, it's important to us that we have, that we can share the voices of the community. It's really important to us. And um, and so having you on board and yeah, if there's anyone listening that's interested, you can definitely email us uh, info at autismcanada.org. And if you would like um, to connect with Vicki, you could email us there as well if you can't find the information on YouTube. So Vicki, thank you. I really appreciate your time. I feel like I still have so many questions, but anyway, we will, we will have to do this again sometime. And uh, thank you for sharing with us. And thank you for trusting us with your story, because I know it's very personal and I know that, and I know that it's a big deal to talk about it. So we appreciate you and, um, and we're grateful that you're a part of our team. So thank you very much for, for your time today. Thanks, Julie. It was great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for more episodes of Sharing the Spectrum and Autism Canada podcast. The beautiful music you heard is from Bruce Pethrick. Bruce is a neurodiverse musician and friend of Autism Canada. You can check out more of his music on his website at brucepethrick.com. Our executive producer is Barbara Patton. Julie Perkis is our producer. Additional thanks to the Autism Canada team, including Tafari Anthony, Shannon Zielinski, Dominique Payment, Mariana Curick, and Earl Zielinski. For more information about Autism Canada, don't forget to visit us at autismcanada.org. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.